When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of the Elevate Your Leadership podcast is brought to you in part by iFly Virginia Beach Indoor Skydiving. At iFly Virginia Beach, we bring people together through the dream of flight. To learn more about our leadership development and team building, visit iFlyVirginiaBeach.com. Welcome to the Elevate Your Leadership podcast series with U.S. Navy Special Operations veteran, CEO, and hockey fanatic, Bob Pizzini. Bob discusses leadership, success, failure, defining moments, and hard lessons learned with guests who are intentional in their approach to leadership. Leadership is a perishable skill. Use it or lose it. In this series, entrepreneurs, industry executives, academics, public figures, and other highly effective professionals share their formulas for success with you. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Elevate Your Leadership with me, your host, Bob Pizzini. I love to have leadership discussions with people who not only bring great value to me and my organization, but these are people who I know will bring great value to you and your organization. Today's guest is Mr. Brian Stevens, President and CEO of the Hampton Roads Chamber of Commerce. Now, before I read Brian's bio, I just want to say that I've known Brian personally for about eight years. We have similar backgrounds in the fact that we both serve very long careers in the military, but I've seen Brian lead this chamber over the last eight years since, since I became a member of the business community, and his leadership is stellar and it enables organizations to flourish. And we're going to flush that out throughout our discussion. Here's Brian's bio. Mr. Stevens has extensive leadership and business experience. Prior to assuming his current position, he served as president and CEO of Calmar in San Antonio, Texas, a $250 million a year manufacturer of material handling equipment after serving a distinguished 28-year career in the U.S. Army, retiring as a colonel. In the Army, he served in a variety of progressive operational leadership and command positions. His last assignments include Infantry Brigade Commander and Division Chief of Staff, 10th Mountain Division, Fort Drum, New York, and Chief of Operations and Chief of Staff, Joint Warfighting Center, U.S. Joint Forces Command in Suffolk, Virginia. His military qualifications include, among others, Ranger, Airborne, Pathfinder, Air Assault, and Joint Staff Officer. And for those of you who are not familiar with those qualifications, that's the real deal. Those are all very challenging to earn along the way, and Brian will tell us a little bit about that. Since taking the helm of the Hampton Roads Chamber, Mr. Stevens has led the chamber to a U.S. Chamber of Commerce five-star accreditation, an achievement only obtained by the top 1% of the over 7,200 chambers in the nation. In 2016, he was awarded the Chamber Executive of the Year for the Commonwealth of Virginia, by the Virginia Association of Chamber of Commerce Executives. And in 2017 and 2018, he was number 15 on Inside Business's top 25 most powerful people in Hampton Roads. In 2019, 2020, and 2021, 
Mr. Stevens was recognized on Inside Business's top 25 list while also being on the Virginia 500 power list for economic development. Welcome, Brian Stevens. Thank you, Bob. I, I really appreciate that. I, I've got to say, you read that bio just like my mother wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot in there. I mean, I wasn't even planning on asking questions and discussing your bio, but tell us a little bit about what it's like to be a ranger, for example. Before I do, Bob, I just want to thank you for the kind invitation for me to participate in your, your podcast. I, I have listened to many of them. And I know that you invite some, some really powerful leaders to participate in these podcasts. And so to be invited to be one of them is a, is a distinct honor for me. So I really appreciate it, Bob. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're so um, welcome, Brian. I've been, this has been a long time coming, actually, and I'm glad we're able to finally put it together. So before we hit the, you know, all the ins and outs of leadership, tell us about what your Ranger career was like. Well, you know, I... Uh, was afforded an opportunity by way of a Army ROTC scholarship to go to college. And that was really the only way I could go to college. My, my, my parents couldn't afford it. I, I certainly wasn't academically positioned to get a, a scholarship. And so uh, I was able to get an Army ROTC scholarship. And once I got into Army ROTC, um, I learned very early that I, I, I wanted to take on the toughest of, of toughest challenges. And so airborne, ranger, pathfinder, that was my path early on. And so I, I worked hard in college uh, to prepare for that. Once I got commissioned a second lieutenant, I was fortunate enough to be commissioned as a light infantryman and, uh, and was able to pursue those initial career goals to take on the toughest challenges that the Army had to offer. And, uh, and quite frankly, that, that was ranger school. Okay. I would imagine by taking on those those uh, very challenging assignments and a very challenging career that immediately led to leadership development and it probably helped you chart a way forward. You know, early in your career, did you decide that you wanted to, you know, continue the Pathfinder route, the air assault route, or kind of how did that progress? Yeah, I'll be honest with you. When I was first commissioned, my, my intent was to pay back my four years of active duty and then <laughs> go on and, and, and do something else like go to law school or or find something else. But, but once I got into the army, I found out I really loved it. I mean, I, I, I found it a, a, a distinct honor for me to wear our nation's cloth and to lead men and women uh, was one of the greatest honors that, that anybody could have. And to pursue the, the light infantry career path and lead soldiers uh, was something that was my passion. As far as a leadership perspective, what I found out was uh, that being in the military, no matter what service, is one of the greatest leadership crucibles that you can do. I mean, because leadership in the military is paramount to, to mission accomplishment, taking care of your, your men and women and those type of things. And you learn that early on. And a great deal of your success in the military is based on your ability to demonstrate those leadership capabilities. When I enlisted in the Navy, same thing. I was going to do four years and move on. I just wanted to be a Navy diver. I grew up watching the undersea world of Jacques Cousteau, you know, black <laughs> and white, and then in Technicolor. And uh, I just wanted, <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to be a Navy diver. And uh, I discovered I loved serving my country as you did. I loved wearing the uniform, and I loved being a member of a team that had a serious mission. I love being a member of a team that was you know, traveling the world doing big things. Transitioning from your military career into the Chamber of Commerce and, and all these accolades within the Chamber, I mean, immediately, 
as soon as you got to the chamber, you win five-star accreditation. That ha- Was that within like your first year, your second year? I think it was the second year, Bob. Yeah. All right. So that, that's indicative of leadership unto itself. 7,200 chambers of commerce in the nation and your second year at the helm, you achieve five-star accreditation. What would you attribute that significant early success to? Well, a couple of things. One, uh, throughout my military career, and then I transitioned into the business community, as you said, down in San Antonio, Texas, and then back here to Hampton Roads with the chamber, I've always set a standard for my organizations, no matter what organizations I'm, I'm a member of. And that standard is excellence. Every organization, whatever industry, usually has industry standards for excellence. When I was in the military, you know, you've got task condition standards, you've got, you know, RTEPs, you've got uh, IG inspections and all that. So I always tried to train my, my soldiers to achieve that standard of excellence and be the best, whether it's a platoon, company, battalion, brigade, be the best at what they do and take great pride in that. I did the same thing down in San Antonio. It was a manufacturing company. So what are the standards for manufacturing? And then I set goals for the organization, whether it was quality control, whether it was getting the cost of production down, efficiency, effectiveness, or whatever. I set clear conditions for the members of the organization to achieve. So when I got here uh, and took over the the Chamber of Commerce, uh, some of my first questions are, well, what are our standards? And quickly realized that the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, which is obviously the organization, the nationwide organization that kind of oversees all of the chambers in a, in a loose fashion, they have specific standards of conduct for local chambers of commerce. There's nine specific criteria. And so I reached out to the U.S. Chamber. I got those, uh, th- those nine standards And then I pulled the staff together and I said, look, I said, is this something we want to do? Do we want to try collectively to attain the high standard of excellence that a five-star accredited chamber will has to has to achieve? And they all said, yes, let's do it. You know, nobody, nobody has asked us to do this before. And subjecting yourself to U.S. chamber evaluation is voluntary. No chamber has to do it. It, It's a volunteer. So we volunteered. And we worked hard for a year preparing for it and putting the processes, procedures and systems in place, ensuring that we had the the right documentation, ensuring that we were meeting the needs of the business community in Hampton Roads. We subjected ourselves to the evaluation and we, we were very fortunate to get it. So the bottom line is it was a staff effort. It was a team effort. The staff went to work, put in a lot of hours to achieve uh, the standards in their particular areas. And again, I couldn't be so proud because what, what that five-star accreditation means is that operationally, we're in the top 1% of all chambers in the nation. And I think that's important because I think our members and the business community in Hampton Roads with large, they want the best chamber in the nation representing them. And we are certainly one of those. And, I, and again, I contributed all to the fabulous staff that we have. The fabulous staff, uh, obviously served by great leadership as well. But I have to agree with your fabulous staff. You know, I've interacted with the chamber team for eight or nine years now, and everything is first class. Whether it's a leadership exchange to Colorado or to to Raleigh Durham, or I know we have a leadership exchange coming up in Charlotte, to the State of the City series, to the uh, Small Business of the Year awards 
to the uh, welcoming new businesses and new CEOs. The chamber staff is so engaged and everything they do is truly first class, first class product across the board. How many people on the chamber staff? Total, I think there's about 20 right now. So it's, it's, it's not a large staff. But having said that, in the chamber world, it is a pretty large staff. Most okay. chambers are much smaller. They're, they're three, four, five, six people. I think the uh, chamber RVA up in Richmond has about uh, 10 people. And, and so we, we've got about 18 or 20 uh, here. We also, as you know, have affiliates. We have uh, a sports commission. We have a small business development center. And we have volunteer Hampton Roads, which is all part of the chamber now as well. So we have other organizations that are sort of subsets of the chamber. So it makes it, it, makes it more challenging, a little more complex, but, but I think all the more relevant. Yeah, it's a big machine. There's no doubt about it. But, you know, I, I can say that I have personally and professionally benefited from the big machine right down to the day I had this concept of opening my own business. I fly Virginia Beach. You know, what did I do? I got a hold of the Hampton Roads Chamber of Commerce Small Business Development Center. That was the point of entry for me. And, you know, yeah. here we are eight, nine years later, and I'm a business owner in the community. And and, and I've said this before, too, when I left the military, and maybe, maybe it was similar for you, you know, when you serve for 28 years, in your case, only 26 for me, I'm a quitter, you know, I, I punched <laughs> out at 26. But when you leave a profession after that long, there's a void, there's an absence, an absence of your teammates, of your, of your duty, of your commitment, of, of having a really well-defined reason to get up every day. And the chamber has largely filled that void in my case. And, and I didn't seek that. It just happened. It was discovery throughout the course of my, my business career. And it's been just an incredible experience. As you transition military to uh, manufacturing to chamber of commerce, let's talk about how you led. For example, when I left the military, when I truly had my own business, 35, 40 employees, I had to go through this learning curve to really redesign my leadership. You know, not all military principles of leadership apply in the private sector. And certainly there are private sector principles of leadership that do apply in, in, in military situations. But just tell us about your, your transition in leadership there a little bit. Any discovery along the way? Oh, of course, Bob. And, and, and that's a great question. Military to civilian transition is a tough one. And it gets tougher the longer that you're in the military, like you said. So um, again, it's it's uh, it, it, it's finding those uh, those common traits and and learning the new traits that you need to in the civilian sector. But listen, this is the deal in my in my mind. Leadership is all about getting things done. Leadership is about getting accomplishing tasks, accomplishing goals, accomplishing missions to a high standard of excellence, as I was talking about earlier. Now, it can be self-leadership where you've got the self-discipline to get things done yourself. That's self-leadership. Or it could be organizational leadership where you uh, use your staff, guide your staff, lead your staff to accomplish the mission, the goal, the objective to a high standard of excellence. That is the same in the military as it is in the civilian sector. It's all about getting things done. And that's why I say there's the, the two most important things in the military that's the same in the business world, Bob, is taking care of your people and leadership. They're the two most valuable commodities. When I look to hire people, especially if it's in a vice president or, or director position, I look at their ability to get things done. I look at their leadership ability. I tell people all the time when I give speeches and stuff, the most valuable commodity in the business community right now is leadership. 
people are looking for leaders to join their organization. Again, because leaders know how to get the job done and they know how to take care of people along the way. Now, as far as leadership styles go, obviously the military is a little more authoritative because you're, you're wearing rank usually and you've got subordinates that recognize that rank. You can be directive in your approach. And again, my leadership style on a, on a military installation was a lot different than my, my leadership style in combat, right? I mean, because sure. things are a yeah, little more serious, sure. a little more urgent. You got to get things done and people have to know that you mean business. Yep. And, and so you got to adjust your leadership style. So it's by, by my experience in the military with that, I learned situational leadership. I learned that you had to adjust your leadership style to your situation and to your environment. So getting back to military to civilian transition, you have to, first of all, understand your environment. Uh, my environment in San Antonio running a manufacturing company was a lot different than the environment uh, leading, le leading soldiers in, uh, in, in combat. I mean, it's just completely different. So having that, what I call sensory acuity, having that awareness of your environment, knowing your people, knowing what the job is, and adjusting your leadership style accordingly to the same end state, getting the job done to a high standard of excellence, but you've got to adjust that leadership style to the situation. You know, that takes what I, what I call some intent. You got to be intentful about your leadership style. You need to understand, again, your people and your environment and be sensitive to that. The other thing that I would say, I, I got to mention, Bob, because I think it's so important, no matter what your leadership style, in my opinion, you have to be a selfless leader. Leadership is not about self. Leadership is about your people and leadership is about the organization. So if you find yourself trying to do things or get other people to do things for a self-centered reason, you're wrong. I'm telling you, you're just wrong. And so uh, leadership to me is about servitude. It's about giving back to the organization now, giving back to the chamber, giving back to our members, giving back to the business community, giving back to the quality of life of the region. That's what it's all about for me. And that's why I enjoy this job so much, because it's about giving. It's not about receiving. Uh, I think you just gave us your definition of leadership. So I, I won't. Uh, that was next on my queue here to ask you how you define it. But I think you just did that. Um, I, I have to say, so you talk about, you know, leadership is about giving. It's not about self or self-interest. You know, in the Navy, we would say ship, shipmate, self in that order, right? That's, yeah, yeah. that's where the focus of your efforts and that's where your priority goes. That's where your commitment goes. In business, it's very similar. Business, teammates, self. You know, self-interest is, is okay, but it's certainly not the first thing on the list. In the Army, Bob, we used to say mission first, people always. What that meant is, uh, you, you, you know, you've got to accomplish the mission, but at the same time, you've got to take care of your people. Yeah, without a doubt. You know, I, I, was, I was reading a book recently by Marty Strong. Do you know Marty, by the way? Uh, no, CEO I don't. CEO of Lynx. Okay. He's a retired Navy SEAL, but I was reading a book he wrote called Be Visionary. And he, before, this guy's got an, a very interesting life, but uh, he's a retired Navy SEAL. Then he became an investment advisor, um, and then he became a CEO. But when he was an investment advisor, the companies that he would have people invest in, he would research their companies and he would look at the leadership of the organization. If, the, if they were strategic thinkers and people who took care of their people, he recommended investing in those organizations as opposed to you know, CEOs and leadership 
who just want to be efficient and, you know, the Deming model and cut costs and, you know, cut costs means cutting people and, and all the other stuff. He looked at organizations that took care of their people and he found those organizations to be great investments overall. So you talked about situational leadership, kind of that, that adaptability, right? Recognizing the situation that's in front of you. One of the things that I noticed, and I had to, again, go through a learning curve is in the military, even, even you know, different services or uh, different levels within different organizations, everybody in the military has gone to boot camp or some basic form of training. So right. regardless if me as a sailor uh, gets a soldier assigned to me for whatever mission, whatever reason, even though we've never worked before, worked together before, we haven't gone to the same basic training, we've gone to basic training. And right. this basic level of expectation is there. What I discovered in the private sector is that doesn't exist. I just expected that, you know, this, uh, this, this commonality, this, this baseline, and it just wasn't there. And so for me, that was a tough learning curve. You know, the, the 22, 23, 24 year old in the military is on their second or third leadership assignment in the private sector, that baseline's not there and they haven't had that leadership development. Have, have you experienced that? Uh, absolutely. I have, Bob, you know, and again, it goes back in my mind to, being able to evaluate your environment. An environment in the military is completely different than an environment at, at CalMAR and the environment at the chamber, you know? And so you've got to evaluate your environment and adjust your leadership style uh, according to get the job done. And that's what I think the truly great leaders are able to do. You know, you can't take the same leadership style from one environment into another and expect to have the same uh, level of success. Um, you got to be able to maneuver. You have to adapt to those different situations. In my Elevate Your Leadership presentation, I talk about leadership styles and power types. And when we identify which ones really suit us well, when we're really using them properly, we're maneuvering and we're navigating um, between all these different leadership styles and power types and, and keeping ourselves in control the whole time. You know, you talked about leading yourself as an individual and then the organizational leadership. You know, and that's something to layer on top of these leadership styles, knowing what environment you, you're in, uh, as, you, as you previously indicated. Okay, so we're talking about how it's different leading from military to the private sector and how the workforce you have in the private sector is significantly different because they don't have this baseline of, of military training. Is there a way to baseline people in the private sector? Is there a way to to kind of set this, this, this common expectation among others? Have you applied any principles along the way there? Oh, yeah. I think that a leader has to do a couple of things in, in, in the context of what you're talking about, Bob. First of all, they've got to be able to articulate a vision, you know, whether it's a vision of the organization at, at large or whether it's a vision of the, of the goal or the task you're trying to accomplish. And then you've got to be able to articulate the standards at which you expect that, uh, that to be done. And then probably comes the hardest part. You've got to be able to motivate them. You know, you've got to be able to motivate them to willingly want to accomplish the mission to the standard that you have set. And, and that's the art and science of, of leadership in my mind, because it's easy just to give somebody a task and forget it. And then when they fail to do it or they do it to a low standard, it's easy to call them into your office and chew them out. That's not leadership, man. You know, that's not yeah. leadership at all. Leadership is motivating them to do the job right the first time to the standard that, that you have set for them. So 
create the vision, get them on board with the vision, set a high standard and motivate them to achieve that high standard. And that's not fire and forget, is it? Uh, That's something you have to uh, constantly pay close attention to. Yeah. And and there's going to be failures on your team and that's to be expected, I think. Another leadership principle that I've always had is to counsel and private praise and public. Sure. So when you have an employee that fails to accomplish the mission to whatever standard or whatever happens, it's okay to call them in your office and very professionally have a conversation with them, you know, about why they failed and encourage them to do better next time and all. That's all part of leadership, right? But you do it in private. You don't, you don't condone them in public. Conversely, if they knock it out of the park for you, you know, you praise them in front of their peers, you praise them in front of uh, their subordinates, you, you know, you let them know that you're proud of them. And just saying that word, hey, listen, guys, I am so proud of you. I mean, that has such a big impact on employees, you wouldn't believe. If it's done honestly, and if it's justified, I think that's a good leadership trait to praise your employees. Yeah, I think so too. All right, we are going to take a commercial break. Brian is a good capitalist, just like I am. And we'll be back in just a minute. And we are back. I'm talking with Brian Stevens, Hampton Roads Chamber of Commerce President and CEO. And we left off talking about praising in public and having discussions for improvement or or lack of performance in private. And those are necessary discussions to have. Most people, it's been my, my experience, that most people want to do a good job. And when they come up short, they, they're not happy about that. And, and, and they will accept recommendations or a path for improvement. And if, if those aren't the kind of people you have on your team, then you need to get rid of them and, and get people of, of good moral and ethical character on your team. Certainly I've made many mistakes in the past. I've been sat down by, um, by a leader once or twice who said, what are you doing here? Or why'd you do that? And in retrospect, you slap yourself in the forehead and go, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? If I could, if I could do that one again, I would do it differently, you know? And, and, and so as a leader, that's what you look for when, when your people come up short. You know, there's this discussion, performance versus behavior. And again, we, we flush this out in the full Elevate Your Leadership experience, but we want high-performing, high-behaving people on our team. And when you have them, like you said, you praise them in public, you let them know they're doing a great job and, and you keep them, keep them busy because that's what they want to do. And, and part of that is that, you know, when they accomplish, when they achieve, they, they feel reward and it contributes to high culture because they feel like they're contributing to the mission of the organization, right? They're good at what they do. They're recognized as being good at what they do and they're making significant contributions. Um, and then the, the opposite side of that is pretty easy too. If you, if you have low performance, low behavior, it's been my experience that they have to go. In the military, we try and retrain. It's a lot harder to just fire somebody, so to speak, in the military, but low performance, low behavior can become this poison within an organization. I, you know, I've had experiences where I've had somebody with very high behavior, in other words, high moral and ethical character, wonderful person to have on the team, but they're coming up short performance-wise. And what, what, what I try to do now is reassign, retrain or find something that they can do that, that contributes overall. That high behavior, that, that high moral and ethical character, I just find to be the most important quality in a person. And then we'll train them to do whatever it is they need to do. Do you have any experience along those lines? Thousands of experiences like that. 
Absolutely. I mean, a, a person's moral values, uh, a character, personality trait, you know, positive personality traits. I mean, those are paramount to every employee. And that's uh, one of my first assessments when I'm when I'm looking to hire somebody. You can usually generally almost always uh, coach, teach, train uh, people to do the job uh, to the standard you expect them to do. If you're a good leader, you can do that. But you can't go back and, and very easily uh, teach morals, values and ethics. I mean, when they're ready to go into the military or when they're ready to to go into the uh, the labor force, it's it's kind of hard to to train them to do that. So that's that's absolutely uh, imperative that that you're able to quickly analyze a person's characteristic uh, characteristical traits uh, as a leader. You know, we have core values in the military, right? In the Navy, it's honor, courage, commitment. The Army, yeah. what? Are, okay, the pop quiz. What are the uh, what are the Army core values? Selfless service, excellence. You know, a funny story, Bob. When I first went down to Kalmar. I asked my human resource manager how many veterans or uh, you know military experienced employees we had, and he didn't know at the time. So I asked him to go out and find out. He came back and told me we had like two percent. And I said, "Well, I said, you know, let's make a concerted effort as we grow the company and as we have transitioning employees that that we focus in on on veterans." And he said, "Why?" And I said, "Because veterans bring the values to this organization that I'm looking for." And so every hiree, we had like 350 employees, so it wasn't that hard for me as the CEO to have an onboarding interview with every new employee. And as we brought veterans on, I had my my cheat sheets. (laughs) So I had the Navy values, the Air Force values, the Army values, and the Marine Corps values. And when I looked at the personnel file, when, when, you know, Bob Bazzini uh, came in, and he was going to be one of the uh, the workers in the factory. I'd bring him into my office and I'd say, well, Bob, you were in the Navy, right? Yeah, I was, sir. And I said, well, what are the Navy values? <laughs> I'd give him that same pop quiz. Now, they usually generally almost always couldn't recite them just like I couldn't. But then I would have my cheat sheet on my desk and I would say, well, they're selfless service, excellent or whatever. And I'd go through them. And then I'd tell him this. I'd tell him, just because you're out of the Navy does not mean that you should not live up to those values every single day. Those values that the Navy inculcated in you are the same values that I want you to take to the plant floor. Don't ever lose them. Don't lower your values because you're here at this organization. Bring everybody else's values up to yours. And I got to tell you, Bob, over the next year or so, we brought on a large percentage of veterans and the the efficiency, the effectiveness, uh, the morale, of the entire organization was was raised exponentially. And I attribute that to, again, the values that those uh, new employees brought to the uh, brought to the the organization. Sure. You know, it's kind of funny. We get the core values beaten into us, if you will, through uh, through officer training or through uh, boot camp or whatever our basic training is. We get them. We just get pummeled with them. And in my case, you know, over the years, it made sense. And over the years, I, I really paid attention to it and I appreciated it. Just like you said, as I transitioned into the private sector, I took that with me, still honing my core values, still, still becoming, you know, focusing on honor, courage, and commitment, which are the Navy core values. And then ultimately with my company, I developed three core values, loyalty, integrity, and professionalism. And these are the discussions I have with my 35 employees almost on a daily basis. 
know, yeah. tell me something that happened today that made you think of a core value or tell me how you helped a teammate with a core value. But these moral and ethical standards are so important. They just have to be revisited on a regular basis. And I think that's a key component of leadership is keeping that highly visible with everybody we lead. No, I couldn't agree more. In fact, I, I, I often say that your core values are the foundation of your organization. And I tell employees, you know, when, when you're at that point of decision and it, it's hard for you to decide what to do, take a look at the values. And if your decision is not in line with those values, then it's the wrong decision. It's the foundation of an organization's culture. Uh, you are so good at art, not only articulating that, but in, uh, you're good at representing that graphically as well. So I have, uh, and to the, listeners, to the listeners out there, I have to confess that I have taken Brian's leadership model of mission, vision, values, culture, and, and the way he uh, makes that part of, daily, of, of the daily business within the chamber. And I've grown my organization um, in that capacity, and it has worked tremendously right down to the graphic I just showed you. So folks at home, you can't see, Brian and I are on a Zoom here. But I just held up uh, Brian's strategy for 2022, and it's a graphic represented as this building supported by pillars. And here's mine for 2022, which is also represented as uh, this structure supported by pillars. So one thing I love about the military experience is we can plagiarize whatever we want to. You know, you, you, <laughs> you know, you just you give you, you give credit to to the author, but there's no copyright on anything, right? So you can right. take a good idea and run with it. So a lot of fun there. Absolutely. All right. We are coming to the end of drive time of workout time and uh, coming to the end of our time with Brian Stevens. Brian, is there anything that I left out? Is there anything I didn't ask you about or anything you want to share with our listeners? Maybe wanted to add one thing, Bob, because it's something that I've been studying about the last three or four years. And I've read several books on the subject and that is emotional intelligence. You know, emotional intelligence is all about how you process things. You know, it's how you react to different things. And emotional intelligence, unlike IQ, this is EQ, you can train yourself to be a high emotional intelligence person. And I think emotional intelligence is really important for a good leader because a good leader has to control their emotions. They have to process things in a calm and professional manner. They can't lose their temper. They can't be chewing out employees. They've got to treat people with respect and dignity. They've got to put things in context. And the only way to do that is to, is to develop your emotional intelligence. So I would just encourage all of your, your listeners out there to just pick up a book or Google and read about emotional intelligence and be intentful about how you process things in your life because we're all going to be bombarded with situations. And it's how you react to those situations that really determine the quality of leader that you are. Thanks for that, Brian. And that, that just falls right in line with the theory that lifelong leaders are lifelong learners <clears throat> and the, the space of emotional intelligence uh, it's been around for a while. It's not, not something brand new, but it is critical of critical importance. So Brian Stevens, Hampton Roads Chamber of Commerce, president and CEO, 28 year retired U.S. Army Colonel, Ranger, Airborne, Pathfinder. Uh, you're a man of many accomplishments. And I thank you so much for being on the Elevate Your Leadership podcast today, Brian. Well, Bob, I appreciate you. I admire your leadership and all that you've accomplished both in the military 
uh, and with your business there at iFly, and quite frankly, how you're addressing your civic responsibilities in the Hampton Roads region as well. You're a, you're a true leader. I admire you, and uh, I'm just thankful you're my friend. Thankful you're my friend. That's a good way to leave it, because I am certainly thankful of that. So we got we to gotta hit the links here real quick. Absolutely, Bob. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Brian. Thanks, Bob. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Your Leadership podcast. To contact Bob directly or to learn more about how Bob can advance you and your organization through leadership training, team building, executive coaching, and public speaking, visit robertpizzini.com, Robert, P-I-Z-Z-I-N-I.com, and connect with him on LinkedIn.